It was about two years after I have committed my life to the Lord that I went through what theologians call backsliding experience. I really like the word backsliding because truly, if you're not going up, you're going down. It's that simple. There is no standing still in the Christian life. And I hate to say it, I had to learn it the very hard way, the very difficult way. But through that experience, God taught me a lot of things. Oh, yes, oh, oh, during that time, I kept going to church. But my heart was called toward God. My heart was called toward God's Word. My heart was called toward Christians. My heart was called toward spiritual walk of any type. And that is why I know there are many Christians backslide right in the pews in the church. You don't have to leave the church to backslide. You can backslide right here. And for a period of 18 months, I sought to do my own thing. I got angry with God when my mother died. And so I blamed God for all kinds of things. Oh, I've never despised God. No, I've never done that. But I had a cold love toward Him. Some of you are going through that experience right now for whatever reason. Backsliding never happens overnight. It begins with taking baby steps. Slowly but surely, my body was going to the church, but my heart was far from the Lord. My heart was firmly established in the world. And eventually, of course, I was in the deep waters of the world. And that, of course, until my boat hit the rock. And I woke up at God's mourner's bench. C.S. Lewis, whom I quote a great deal, he made a statement that I have always remembered it. It's one of the most powerful statements that he ever made. Listen carefully. He said, the fastest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope. The soft underfoot without sudden turnings. Without milestones, without signposts, end of court. Early in my life, the Lord taught me some very powerful lessons during my time in the wilderness. First, that all of us, every one of us, I don't care how much you claim to love God, every one of us is susceptible to the subtle temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every one of us. And the second lesson is this. That the temptation does not come at once. It is a constant thing. It is extremely slow. It is painfully subtle, as C.S. Lewis said. You see, I am convinced from the language of the Scripture that the serpent did not come and tempt Eve and Eve immediately fell for it. But it was day in and day out. Day in and day out. Look at this. And putting that shiny one in front of her face. And the third thing is this. Every true Christian, every born-again believer, every person who is saved from eternal hell to eternal heaven must be daily on their guard regarding the little bit of sin. 
Oh yes, there's so many little bit of sins that are respectable in our society that we don't take notice of them. Let me give you a warning. The little bit of sin does not stay a little bit of sin for very long. It's soon going to become a little bit of big sin. Lot was a man who began with a little bit of sin. And he ended up in a whole lot of trouble. He ended up in a whole lot of big sins. Lot was a man who began with taking baby steps towards sin, and he ended up swimming in it. Job took his priestly responsibility very seriously. So he daily offered sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of his family. Lot, on the other hand, wanted to leave his family a nice inheritance, a nice nest egg, and he ended up in drunkenness and in incest. Job rose early in the morning to worship the living God and to intercede on behalf of his family. Lot, on the other hand, rose early in the morning, calculating the statement of his net worth. Job rose early in the morning, and the first thing on his mind was God. The first thing on his mind was pleasing God. Lot, on the other hand, rose early in the morning, and the first thing on his mind was the next deal. I remember the story I heard many years ago, in fact, about the hard-driving American businessman who went to South America, and he was on one of the coasts of South America, and there he looked and he saw a fisherman was just lying there in the sun. And uh, he looked at him and said, why aren't you catching fish? And the man said, well, I caught enough. You caught enough. The brash American said, why don't you catch more, more than you need? And, uh, and the fisherman said, well, what would I do with it? He said, my man, what do you do with it? Don't you understand? He said, you can uh, make more money and, and then buy a new boat and a new motor and then buy two boats and, and then you can have a fleet of boats and then you go into deep sea fishing and, and have more fish and have a, a great business enterprise and be rich like me. And the fisherman kind of looked at him and he said, uh, then what would I do? <laughs> and the brash, hard-hitting man said to him, he said, well, then you take it easy and enjoy life. <laughs> and the fisherman looked at him and he said, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just before his death, a reporter asked Elvis Presley a penetrating question. He said, when you started in your musical career, you said that you wanted three things in life. You wanted to be rich, you wanted to be famous, and you wanted to be happy. Are you happy, Elvis? The singer replied, no, I'm not. Somebody said, people... Don't seem to mind the rat race as long as they get a little bit of the cheese. I want you to listen carefully, please. Because Lot is an example of a Christian who became worldly. Is an example of a Christian who became half-hearted about his faith. A Christian who used all of the right words. And yet... 
rationalized covetousness as good. A Christian who puts Christian spin on a blatant sin. A Christian who is drunk with covetousness and yet claims the sobriety of serving God. Let me tell you a couple of things about Lot before I get to tell you more about where he was. Number one, he was Abraham's nephew. Abraham, that man of faith, the man that the Bible spoke of, that he looked forward to the day of Jesus 2,000 years before Christ. That man of faith who trusted God with all his heart, he had a nephew named Lot. He traveled with his uncle. They went to Egypt together. They wandered away from the Lord together and they came back together. And he saw the dealings of God in the life of his uncle and in his own life. And the second thing you need to know about Lot is that he took some baby steps toward greed and selfishness. And he ended up in a disaster. Please follow these steps with me closely. I'm going to show them to you from the scripture. I am not making them up. They are in chronological order and they are in the word of God. So the first step is this. The Bible said, Lot looked Toward Sodom. Turn in your Bibles and mark in your Bibles. Genesis 13.10. He looked toward Sodom. And Sodom, of course, has become to be a symbol of godlessness. Symbol of perversion. Symbol of all things that is worldly. With that understanding, I want you to concentrate with me. The first step was that he... Look towards Sodom. Listen, Lot, obviously, a man who knew how to use sanctimonious dribble. He really did. And if he looked towards Sodom, but he didn't go in there, and as if to say, well, wait a minute, a, a, a man like me would not live among these people. I, I, I know better than this. I, I, I cannot be in that place. This is not a place for a believer to be. This is not a situation for a believer to be. I know better than that. That is a wicked city. I have seen God dealing with my uncle and with me. I've seen how he saved us. I've seen how he delivered us. I've seen how he worked in our lives. I wouldn't go there. I just wouldn't settle there. I'm too classy for these people. Oh, but I'm just going to take a look. You know, I'm just going to take a peek. I'm going to take one close look to see what's going on. I just want to know what's going on on the other side. You know, the word look here in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, the word look in the Hebrew is a fascinating word. It's the same in Aramaic and Arabic. It's a word that's loaded because it does not mean just the the casual glance. It doesn't mean that. It means looking with longing. It means looking and wondering. If there was not a business deal that can be had. Oh, never mind if it's a little shady, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, he knew. He knew that this was not a place for a godly man. But he looked. He just wanted to peek in and take a peek. He probably said to himself, he said, you know, I won't stay for very long. I look from a distance. I will not be part of this. I, I will just look. I won't do anything wrong. I won't keep my distance. I want to see what's going on. I heard a story years ago about a man in a small southern town here. One day he got dressed up on his Sunday best in the middle of the week. 
had his Bible under his arm and he was coming down the hills. His friend saw him and said, where are you going in the middle of the week? He said, well, I heard that in New Orleans they have these naughty shows and I just want to take a look for myself. Well, okay, but uh, what's, what was the Bible under your arm? He said, well, if I like it so much, I might stay over the weekend and go to church. <laughs> My friends, listen carefully. Because the next time Lot looked, he thought to himself, there are just too many opportunities over there to ignore. There are just too much money over there to be made. There's just too much lucrative of market for me to ignore. Oh, but I won't stay very long. <laughs> I won't stay very long. I'll get out as soon as I get my business done. You know, once you look for too long, whatever it is you're looking at, and I'll leave you to figure that out. Once you look for too long, the second step is imminent. Is absolutely imminent. And the second step, the Bible said, it was in Genesis 13, 12, that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Some of your translation says, near Sodom. It's imminent. <laughs> I want to say, Lot, my buddy, why didn't you just go into Sodom? Why don't you just go all the way? Why don't you make it easy on yourself and just move in? Oh, no, 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 Brother Yusuf, don't you understand? I'm not going to be part of this culture. I mean, I want to live for the Lord. Here's the sanctimonious dribble, you know. Uh, Brother Yusuf, you don't understand. Sodom is a very wicked place. I'm a classy guy. I mean, Brother Yusuf, you don't understand. I know what the scripture said about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. I'm not going to do that. Oh, Brother Yusuf, look, I know. I know what the Bible said. And I won't, I won't live there. Oh, you know, I, I don't want to be like them. I'm just going to be there on business. And I'm going to get out. The reason I know this is because the devil took me there. And let me tell you something else. That the moment you pitch your tent towards Sodom or near Sodom, there is 99.99% of a chance for you to be within the city in a very short period of time. Now, my beloved friends, I pray the Spirit of God will take those words, inadequate as they may be, and just translate them into your heart and print them onto your hearts. Because I believe genuinely this is a word from the Lord of a warning to some of you. I don't know who, but the Lord clearly made that clear to me in my prayer. And the warning is this, whatever fire you're playing with, whether it is that business deal that stinks up to high heaven, whether it is that addiction to pornography, whether it's that addiction to alcoholism, whether it's that addiction to drugs... Don't fool yourself by thinking that you only can get near Sodom, but not stay there. Don't fool yourself by thinking that, like the moth, you're going to fly close to the flame, but you're not going to get burned. For as surely as the devil is real, and it doesn't matter how long it takes, I can tell you that the third step will be living inside of Sodom.
Look at step number three, Genesis 14, 12. Where do you find Lot? (laughs) In the very heart of the city. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how he got there. The Bible doesn't tell us when the movers and the moving vans came in and shipped his furniture and took him inside from nearby to, to the city itself. The Bible does not tell us what an incredible real estate deal that he found in Sodom that made him move in there. The Bible doesn't tell us all of this. I believe with all my heart that the Bible is telling us that if and when you pitch your tent near Sodom, it is as good as moving into Sodom. And the fourth and the final step was that Lot become part of the furniture in Sodom. How do I know that? Genesis 19.1. Step number four. The Bible said he was sitting at the gateway of Sodom. The gateway in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, those who sit at the gateway, and not anybody can go and sit at the gateway, Only the city council members would sit at the gateway. Only the ruling elders can sit at the gateway. He gained such prominence in this this new place. He greased palms. He knew how to get along with people. He was a clever businessman. And before long, he was elected to the city council. That's where he's sitting, at the gate of Sodom. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news now that God has his witness inside the wicked city? (laughs) What are you talking about, Michael? God has a missionary to this corrupt place. Isn't that good? What are you talking about? God has his man to lead others to himself. Isn't that good? Yeah, the problem is, Lot was nothing of a sort. I want to tell you something. Lot had already abandoned his high calling way before he got into Sodom. Someone once said, you know, it's a lot easier to make a buck than to make a difference. And I couldn't agree more. Christians are supposed to uphold the vision of swimming upstream of culture, of swimming upstream of the pressure of the world. But so many Christians are floating downstream on a yacht. And when the chips are down, integrity and biblical principles will get sold, not the yacht. And when that happened, my beloved friends, let me tell you, as a warning from the Word of God, history tells us that it's just a matter of a short time before the yacht hits the rocks. Did you know that the ancient Aztecs of Mexico would take their people they capture and they offer them as a sacrifice to their gods? Most of you probably knew that. But I bet you did not know That before this act of offering their captives as sacrifice to their gods, for one solid year, they allow them to live in the lap of luxury and splendor. The devil does exactly that. The four steps probably took years to complete. There is no telling. I don't know. The scripture doesn't spell it out. But it's a period of time. Those four steps started with baby steps. Then they got accelerated. 
What's Lot's problem? Are you telling us that God's people can't live in the city of man? Please don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm saying at all. Was it that Christians should not rise to a position of leadership in a secular culture, in a secular society? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to listen very carefully. The problem was inside Lot. The problem was Lot's heart. The problem was Lot's motives. The problem was Lot's real intentions. You see, Sodom was inside Lot way before Lot was inside Sodom. Be warned, my beloved friends. See, the problem is not what you say to people. The problem is not the public image that we present to people. The problem is not the language we use, the language of Zion and and, and able to use those Christianese language. No, 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 no. I have heard Christians, in fact, when they get into trouble, they say, well, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I became all things to all men in order to win some. I said, do you think the Apostle Paul is saying that I became a gambler to win the gamblers? Do you think the Apostle Paul is saying, I have become an adulterer to win adulterers? Do you think the Apostle Paul is saying, I have become a thief in order to win the thief? That's ridiculous. That's not at all what Paul is saying. And yet I hear it among evangelical Christians who believe in the grace of God, who turned grace into a license. Paul did not mean that at all. Paul said, I became all things to all men, meaning that he did not insist on the privileges of his background, but rather he laid it aside for the sake of Christ. That's what he means. A prominent evangelical preacher goes through a divorce, which is bad enough. But what makes it worse, his associate gives it a Clintonian spin and says, now he can be a better pastor. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. We have such screwed up logic. And we live just like the rest of the world. And yet, we claim to be Christians. I want you to look at the conclusion. God is not looking for perfection. I'm the first one to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. But God is looking not for rationalization. He's looking for repentance. That's what God is looking for. He is looking for men and women who know how to confess and how to repent and how to turn. Don't think I'm preaching legalism. Not at all. I am preaching the grace of God. I get so overwhelmed by the grace of God, I can't talk sometimes. Because, but for His grace, I wouldn't be standing here. Job, who rose early in the morning, began by interceding on behalf of others. Interceding first and foremost on behalf of his family. Lot, who has gone down this four steps, was offering his daughters to be raped by the homosexuals. And it is of goodness of God that the homosexuals refused to rape his daughters. How can he get rebuked as a believer by the non-believers? Job was anxious that his family was pure before God, was given a double portion of blessings after the troubles that he went through. 
Lot, on the other hand, who was trying to protect his reputation above his family's protection, ended up in drunkenness and in incest. In fact, I can tell you right now, and you know it from the Word of God, that if it was not for his uncle Abraham, up there in the mountains, interceding, crying his heart out, crying his eyes out to God, pleading with God, pleading mercy from God, absolutely, literally forcing God's hand. I don't mean that in a negative sense. In his intercession before God, if it wasn't for Uncle Abraham's intercession, Lot and his family would have been destroyed in Sodom. My friends, somebody's praying for you. Somebody's praying for you. Don't keep on tempting God. Don't keep on tempting God. But the Bible said that the angels, they literally had to yank him and his wife and his daughters. They had to yank them. That's what the word really means. They had to yank them by the arms and get them out of there. And even when he got there, did not want to go to the mountains. He wanted to go to another little city. And he was bargaining with the angels. He said, man, I don't want to be up there when nobody knows me. I want to go there and do another business deal. Let me go to this little town. The angel said, get up to the mountain. And again, but for the intercession of his uncle, he said, okay, you go there because of the grace of God is going to be extended to you because of Abraham. Now, Christian, listen to me, please. You cannot escape the payments of your choices. It's not that you're going to lose your salvation. You know, I don't teach that. But you cannot escape the payments for your choices. Though the checks may be late in the mail, the payments will always get there. Christian, please listen. If you are not winning Sodom, and Sodom is winning you, for God's sake, for your sake, for your family's sake, get out. Christian, please listen. If your possessions are possessing you, for God's sake, for your sake, and for your family's sake, get out. Probably some of you are saying, well, how do I know that I have pitched my tent towards Sodom? And I'm glad you asked because I'm anxious to tell you. There are four indicators. Write them down if you have a pen. Four indicators that would tell you that you have moved close to Sodom. Whatever Sodom is to you, because Sodom to you might not be Sodom to somebody else, might not be Sodom to me. Whatever Sodom to you is, you know it and God knows it. And you, in the secrecy between you and God, know what it is. Number one, you develop a preoccupation with possessions and things and accumulation. Not just a matter of having things. Don't misunderstand me, please. That's not what I'm saying. But being obsessed with them. This has nothing to do with how much you have. You could have a million, you could have a dollar. It makes no difference. The issue is not the amount. The issue is this. And it has everything to do with your attitude toward things. Second indicator. When you are worrying about your possessions, rather than managing them, your tent has been pitched close to Sodom. Third indicator, envying others or comparing yourself with others. 
is a dangerous signal for you are pitching your tent close to Sodom. Fourth indication, ingratitude in your heart. First, ingratitude to God. Ingratitude to others. Focusing on what you don't have. When you have lost your joy in giving. All these are indicators that your tent has been pitched very close to Sodom. Get out before you get sucked in. May those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. Father, I delivered your word. I gave your message. I pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that you will imprint your word upon our hearts. That, oh God, we only have to fear you because we only have to answer to you. Holy Spirit, may you be free at this moment. Speak to every heart. Speak to every mind. Speak to the conscious and the subconscious. Father God, I plead with you that this warning that you have given us would not go unheeded by me. Would not go unheeded by each of us. For oh precious Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.